The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Gork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JerryMcCarthy74. On this week's show, our VIP guest is Munster Women's Rugby Under-18 rising star Neve McCarthy from Bantry Bay RFC. Neve speaks to the bench about her career representing Bantry Bay and last weekend's superb Under-18 Interpro win away to Ulster. Corks Red FM's resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan is also on the bench to review last weekend's Munster and Leinster Vodafone Senior Women's Interpro Final at Musgrave Park. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach to the stars Mike Curran returns to the bench to review and analyse the opening round of the new 2023 AFLW season, analyse every Irish player's performance and look ahead to next week's games. Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley is also back on the bench to review an exciting Italian Grand Prix and Max Verstappen and Red Bull's historic weekend. And finally, I have a full roundup of all last weekend's Cork LGFA Senior Intermediate and Junior Club Championship results, scores and standout players from another action-packed weekend. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis, comment and his expert coaching opinion on every single one of the AFLW's opening round of the 2023 season's fixtures. Mike also gave the lowdown on each Irish player's performance during the first weekend of the new AFLW campaign and we also previewed this weekend's second round of AFLW matches. Now on the Big Red Bench we are delighted to welcome back our resident AFLW expert and coach to the stars Mike Curran to review the opening week weekend of the AFLW season. Mike, you're very welcome back to the bench. We have footy to talk about. We have, Jared, and a lot, yeah. <laughs> we have a lot. So let's crack on. Before we start, though, uh, and review each of the games, 33 players, Irish players, have been registered for this season, Mike, as you explained in, in previous uh, episodes. But how many of them were involved this, in, the first, in the first round this past weekend? Okay, so in round one, we saw 22 of the Irish players in action. That included six players making their AFL debut. So there was a lot of fanfare around that, obviously, and rightly so. And we saw uh, a lot of wholesome content with people getting their jerseys and, and getting their debuts announced. And we had, as well as the six players making their AFLW debut, we had three players making club debuts. So we'll touch on all those as we go through the games. But yeah, 22 in action and lots and lots of uh, big news and debuts all around. Indeed there was. It began on the Friday night with Melbourne, uh, the reigning Premiers, defeating Collywood 73-31 to in an opening game record crowd watching on as this season, as we, you just mentioned there, the Melbourne Demons Irish players will be Sinead Goldrick, Blaine Mackin and Amy Mackin and the Collingwood Magpies are Sarah Rowe and Ashton Sheridan. But the reigning Premiers were in fine form, Mike. They were, and you set the scene there, like this was the opening game of the season, always a big one. Icon Park, great venue. There was 8,412 people at this game. Now, just to give you context, that was 1,000 people more than last year's grand final, which I was at myself in Brisbane. So opening game of the season, 1,000 people more than the grand final of last year. And to put it into context, that's almost double the size of the opening game in season seven. So we've been touching on across the last few weeks the, the kind of the crest of a wave that AFLW and women's sport is on in general at the moment in Australia and across the world. But huge crowds, huge interest, and what a game to open we had Melbourne, the defending champions. We saw them unfurl their premiership flag at Icon Park before the game, which is a tradition that the champions do every season. Uh, their premiership captain, Daisy Pierce was back for that flag unfurl. And their premiership defence got off to a flying start. Now, it was really a third-quarter masterclass here that saw them stretch away to a 42-point win. But Collingwood actually led the game at halftime, uh, mainly due to the brilliance of the returning 
Bree Davy, who we mentioned uh, across the last couple of weeks as well. She's back from an ACL, uh, outstanding. She had 35 disposals, but then it was Melbourne really from the third quarter on. Their overlap run game and their tight defensive structures came to the fore. Uh, you mentioned the Irish players there. We saw numerous examples of that brilliant overlap run from the best of the Irish on the day, who was Blaine Mack and absolutely flying it in the first game of the season. She had 18 disposals, um, which is a phenomenal achievement uh, playing on the wing for, for Melbourne. And then, of course, we had Sinead Goldrick back in action um, in defence as well. And for Collingwood, both Sarah and Ashton Sheridan were in action. Sarah back to her busy self, 20 possessions for the, the day, and she's had an adventurous pre-season and off-season, so it hasn't affected her at all. She's back into the thick of it for Collingwood. But yeah, a brilliant win for Melbourne, and I suppose it's only the first game we're talking about, but of all the games across the weekend, uh, Melbourne have already put their hands up as serious contenders to defend that title this season. They certainly have, as you said, in front of a record crowd, a really, really good performance from the Demons, 73-31. to 31. On to Saturday in the first of four games, which saw Carlton edge the goal course 34-32. to 32. This year's Carlton's Irish contingent are Rowan Fitzpatrick and Daniel Finn, while the Gold Coast Suns have an Irish trio of Clara Fitzpatrick, Neil McLaughlin and Carol McCross. And this sounds like it was a cracker, Mike. It was. Well, it was a cracker. It was mainly in the final quarter, so the scoreline is slightly deceptive. But again, we're at Icon Park here, which of course is Carlton's home ground. And this is a new era for the Blues, as they're known, because they have a new head coach in Matthew Buck. Uh, but it was familiar, some familiar stars that were leading the way for Carlton. Darcy Vessio, who's one of the top scorers of all time in AFLW, had three goals for the game. And that actually helped Carlton to lead by 23 points early in the last quarter. So it really was a, an explosive finish from the Suns that saw them come with a late surge. They kicked the last six scores of the of the game, six or three goals and three behinds. Uh, Carlton just held on. They battled ferociously to hold on for those last few minutes for that very narrow win. And an interesting stat from the Carlton side of it is they had 91 tackles as a team for, for the game. So that's the highest in their AFL history. So that shows uh, probably what laid the foundation for that win. And then on the Irish side of it, you mentioned of the two cards and players, Iran Fitzpatrick made her AFL de- AFLW debut. So a great night for Iran and the Fitzpatrick family who were back in Melbourne again after only coming home a few weeks ago. And then on the Sun side, we had Clara Fitz uh, making her cl- club debut. So she, of course, has transferred from St Kilda last season. So she made her club debut. And then Neve McLaughlin from Donegal here also making her AFL debut. So uh, lots of uh, milestones and three Irish people representing and a great game to watch. Um, as you say, uh, just a couple of points in it in the end. Indeed it was. We move on now to the Adelaide Derby where the Adelaide Crows defeated Port Adelaide 58-28. to And this season, the Adelaide Crows will have two Irish players, Neave Kelly and Yvonne Bonner, on their roster. A 30-point thumping, Mike, but not unexpected. Uh, not unexpected, but at the same time, again, you know, this game is known as the showdown. It's only the second one. So this was version 2.0, huge uh, rivalry traditionally between Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Of course, in the AFLW space, uh, Port Adelaide only came on board last season. So they're relatively new, but the rivalry is alive and well. Um, but again, massive crowd at Norwood Oval with 8,722 people to watch the game. So brilliant atmosphere. It's a massive statement from the Crows' early doors. Like they burst into the, the first quarter, keeping. Port Adelaide scoreless uh, in, in, and including the first Irish goal of the season actually for Neve Kelly. We'll talk about, a bit more about Neve in a minute. But despite that start, they were actually behind at halftime as well. So Port battled back. But again, 
it's the infamous three quarter or the third quarter, six consecutive goals after halftime then helps the Crows run away here for a, a convincing win. Uh, as I said, this was game or showdown 2.0. Last season, the Crows belted power by 60 points. This season, the margin was closer, down at 30 points. So that does show that it was a comfortable win for the Crows, but the Port Adelaide team are ever improving and getting better year on year, and that's what you want to see. But the story of the showdown game is Neve Kelly, who is absolutely brilliant. She actually took out what's known as the showdown medal for best on ground. Um, she had she scored that first Irish goal of the season. She had 28 disposals, which is an all-time record for an Irish player in AFLW and was just phenomenal from start to finish. So fantastic to see her. She struggled a bit with a shoulder injury last season, but has literally hit the ground flying at Radley Crows. And the other Irish player on show was Yvonne Bonner, who was making her club debut. So her first game for the Crows, obviously after heading back to Australia, previously playing um, for GWS Giants a couple of seasons ago. And Yvonne was brilliant as well. She scored two goals uh, in the full forward line. So a big showing from her. So the Irish Crows were very impressive and Adelaide Crows were definitely very impressive. Yeah, and well done to Neve Kelly, as you said. An injury-free Neve Kelly is going to be a weapon this year if she can stay fit and already the signs look good. And Yvonne Bonner as well, as you said. Congratulations to her making such a serious impact in her first appearance. Um, on to Geelong, who defeated the Western Bulldogs 65-17. And this year, the Cats have three Irish players on their roster. Rachel Kearns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy. Uh, Cats dominating the Bulldogs in this one. Um, and they look like they're ready to kick on from last year, Mike. They really do. You know, this was a battle between two of the top eight teams from last year. Geelong finished fifth and uh, Bulldogs were eighth. And it was Geelong who seriously impressed here at GH NBA Stadium down in Geelong. So it was a home game for them. They kept the Bulldogs goalless in the first half and they finished with a big final quarter, four goals in that to win by 48. So yeah, as you said, they're looking very impressive. They seem to have built on that heartbreaking loss in the finals last year. You might remember they went down by two points to not Melbourne Kangaroos. So they have really um, hit the ground running as well, I suppose. And we had a debut um, for Ashley Maloney and a debut goal for Ashley Maloney. So she was the only Irish on show here, but a brilliant start for her. But yes, I think Geelong will definitely be uh, a team to watch this season and across the next few weeks. Yes, indeed they will be. On to Kinetic Stadium in the final game of the Saturday roster where the Essendon Bombers defeated the, Haw- the Hawks 49-30. to 30. And on Essendon's uh, roster this year, um, the Irish representative is Joanne Doonan, while uh, on Hawthorne's books, Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough uh, will be lining out for them. So the Bombers with a 19-point win in what was described, and I had to laugh at this, one of the newspaper articles that I read, Mike, um, physical but entertaining clash. What does that mean in reality? <laughs> well, it means that these two teams are pretty close uh, they're two of the expansion teams from last season as well and they have a bit of a healthy rivalry developing already on the AFLW front a long traditional rivalry on the men's front uh, but it did actually turn out to be a pretty entertaining game um, we saw Essendon get over the line for the the win some of their stars to the fore there Maddie Perspakis was brilliant in, in midfield with 31 disposals but it was one of the new Hawks I suppose Emily Bates from Brisbane uh, who was probably one of the big um, news moves of the close season there she was very impressive for Hawthorne, so she's going to be a huge addition to them for the season, uh, for definite. And then on the Irish front, as you mentioned, it was a very impressive round one for Anya McDonough, who did have a, a pretty interrupted preseason with, with multiple different injuries, but she got a brilliant goal, really, really well-worked goal there. Um, so great start for her. And Aileen Gilroy probably wasn't at her absolute best, but she did have to pass a fitness test 
to be named on the squad. So I'd imagine uh, across the next couple of weeks, we'll see her back in, in flying form. But she also did get on the, the scoreboard with a, a very important goal. But this time around, it was uh, Essendon that took the win over the Hawks. Yes, and the Bombers are certainly a team to watch out for this year, as we said. On to Sunday, and the first game on the Sunday, uh, the, the list of all the games were completed last Sunday. North Melbourne defeating St Kilda 56-16. to And on the Kangaroos uh, lineup this year from Ireland, Eilish Consign, Eric O'Shea and Niamh Martin, while St Kilda will have uh, Grace Kelly from these shores. Now, it's a convincing 40-point win for the Kangaroos, Mike, but the fact uh, that they kept St Kilda scoreless in the first half, that tells me a lot about uh, what way the Kangaroos want to go this year. Definitely. It was a blistering start to the season, a blistering start to this game. It was down in, in Blundstone Arena in Tasmania, which, of course, is is where North Melbourne Kangaroos are partnered with. So it, even though they travel to Tasmania, it, it's technically a home game for them. But they scored five goals, six behinds to no score at halftime. So absolutely blew them out, the match out of the water from the start. Uh, a signal of intent from where they're going to go for the season for definite. And I think uh, midfield dominance was probably the key for the Roos here. You know, all their stars were flying at Jazzy Garner, Ash Riddell, Captain Ian McCarney, all on twenty high 20s, 29 disposals. Um, St Kilda did fight back a little bit in the third quarter, but North sealed the game with a further three goals in, in the final term. So, yeah, they're definitely um, starting with momentum to build on last year's preliminary final loss uh, on the Kangaroo side, we saw, of course, of the three players, just Eric O'Shea in action this weekend. Uh, another solid start from her. And then on St Kilda's side, it was brilliant to see Grace Kelly. She was making her club debut. So she did switch to St Kilda last season from West Coast Eagles. But due to injury, she didn't actually get to play a game last season. So it was fantastic to see her in action, getting her debut jersey. And she had a very solid game as well um, with uh, 12 disposals. So uh, she'll be getting better week on week. But yeah, uh, a significant win for North Melbourne and definitely um, they'll be very happy with that start. And so they should be. Let's uh, let's hope that uh, Eric O'Shea continues a good early season form as well with the Kangaroos. We move on now to one of the big upsets, one of the big upsets of the weekend at the Brighton Homes Arena where the Richmond Tigers defeated the Brisbane Lions 40-34. to Now the Lions-Irish duo this year will be Orla O'Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn. But um, Richmond, Mike, going in, uh, putting in a terrific, I think, last quarter performance to edge this one but I did not see this one coming No I think look at it, it's an upset but probably not as big a one as, as many people would think because you got to remember that Richmond were in the top four last year they finished fourth on the table and, and made the finals so this was a thrilling contest between two of last year's top four of course Brisbane losing the grand final last year it's become known as the battle of the jungle as it's the Lions versus the Tigers and so um, in this case it was the Tigers that prevailed but it was a tight battle throughout the game you know scores were level with five minutes to go and we had a, deb- a debutant for Tigers uh, Caitlin Grazier who, who has transferred across from St Kilda kick a winner from 40 metres out and there was a few nervous minutes uh, as the Lions battled back to try and get a score uh, in the last um, couple of seconds there but the Tigers did hold out for six points the win Built largely on, on some of their superstars, I suppose, uh, Mon Conti, their captain in midfield, and, and Katie Brennan up front, Deshaun, and were amongst the best. Um, Orla Dwyer was the only Irish player on show in this one. She had a good solid game again on the wing, you know, 14 disposals for her, four tackles, three clearances. But I suppose to put it in context, this was a Brighton's home, Brighton Homes Arena, Brisbane Lions home ground, new home ground. They now have only played two AFLW games there and they've lost those two games. Last year's grand final, this year's round one two losses in a row on their new home decks, so they won't be happy with that. 
So I think um, they're going to be heading into next weekend looking to, to put that right. But a brilliant start uh, for Richmond Tigers. Yeah, good on them. And well done to them, as you said. Um, not the record that the Lions wanted in their new home, but uh, uh, interesting to see the Tigers going so well so early. We keep a close eye on them as the season progresses. Now, history was made at the North Sydney Oval last weekend where the Sydney Swans, there's a lot of Irish interest this year because four Irish players on the roster, Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy, Julio Sullivan and Tanny Kennedy, defeated the Greater Western Sydney Giants at 56-46, to 46, Mike. Big headlines coming out of this one. Huge headlines, a brilliant win for Sydney and, and fantastic to see it, of course. Uh, historic, they went through all of last season without a win. We mentioned last week that they were making good progress and had good momentum through their practice games, winning both their practice games, but this was when it mattered the most. And I suppose uh, it was actually made all the sweeter by the fact that they trailed the Giants at the end of every quarter throughout the match going into the final quarter and they just surged home in that final quarter where they actually outscored the Giants uh, two goals, four to, to no score. So amazing night for, for the Swans. Two of the four Irish sons got to be part of that historic game. We had Tanya Kennedy playing in defence and we also had uh, Julie O'Sullivan from Kerry and already Julie O'Sullivan took an outstanding mark and that's been nominated for Mark of the Year. So that that was both those players AFLW debuts, so what a night for them, but but what a way to to mark it, excuse the pun for Julie to, to be nominated for Mark of the Year straight away. So yeah, it, great for the Suns or for the Swans. It was Chloe Malai, of course, who was probably the highest profile switch in the the preseason moving from Collingwood, who really inspired them. Great to see it for the club, the players, and of course, even head coach Scott Gowans, who himself recovered from cancer earlier this season. And in fairness, he added a bit of spice to it during the week with some pregame comments as well. So he he, he left a lot uh, riding on the line there, but brilliant to see it. You know, excited. this is only the second Sydney Derby and Swans have got up for a win already. So uh, great to see it. It is indeed. And we finish off uh, a fantastic opening round with a Western Derby. Uh, a lot of interest in this as well from an Irish point of view. The Fremantle Dockers defeating the West Coast Eagles 27-19. to Frio this year will have four Irish players on their roster. Anya Tighe, Orla Lally, Amy Mulholland and Joanne Craig. While the West Coast Eagles Irish representative is Ashley McCarthy. But um, a fierce rivalry in this one, Mike. And physical, to put it mildly, from the reports and from the highlights that I saw. Absolutely, and all five of the Irish players were in action in this one. So this had massive Irish involvement and no surprise that this game was featured by um, Sport TG Kahar as well. Every player on the roster was playing from an Irish point of view, so a huge interest in that one. And it was the the Western Derby. You know, Fremantle have run, won six from six, so they've continued their Western Derby dominance, but it wasn't as um, clean-cut as they would have uh, liked. You know, pretty close game in the end, just eight points in it. Um so, sorry, the four Irish Dockers also worth noting that this is the most Irish players on an AFLW team ever, on the same team on any one game. So, uh, another milestone there. But uh, we had all the, the Dockers in action. Amy Mulholland, Joanne Craig, she was making her AFL debut and it was lovely to see her receiving her debut guarantee from Amy Mulholland. Also, Orly Lally from Meath. We had Ashmack, Brilliant as always on the West Coast Eagles side, but there's only one story from this game. It's Anya Tai. Absolutely brilliant. You know, we're always talking about Anya and highlights, but she was outstanding. She scored two goals. Both of them were brilliant. The first one was literally when she was lying on the ground, she managed to, to kick it through. But the second one was really a bit of magic. You know, she was dribbling the ball through from a tight angle on the outside of her boot and straight away again. That goal has been nominated for the AFLW goal of the year and theres I don't think there's anything that's going to beat it this round anyway. So um, brilliant for uh, Anya. But 
West Coast, yeah, they look to bounce back now again next weekend and the Dockers are probably on the way to Melbourne for an away game uh, where I think against Collingwood where we potentially see six Irish players. So we'll probably talk about that again in a minute. And no doubt uh, TG4 will be all over that one. But yeah, a great start from Fremantle, uh, new coach, new season and going well so far. Yes, indeed. And great to see, as you said, five Irish players involved and perhaps even more uh, in their own two fixtures, which we're about to talk about. But before we do, Mike, now that we've gone through each of it was a fantastic opening round of AFLW season matches, the McClellan Trophy is something you spoke about on previous episodes with us here. Now, the AFLW round one has already been impacted and the standings. Um, can you explain why and uh, what does all this mean? Yeah, so we just touched on this uh, the last time as well. I suppose this, the McClellan Trophy traditionally was awarded to the team that finished top of the home and away season in the men's ladder. This year it's been changed. and It now becomes an overall club award for the best club across the men's AFL and the women's AFLW. Obviously, the men's AFL home and away season has finished last weekend. So from that point of view, the table is finalised. So people were wondering what impact the AFLW would have on that. It's had an immediate impact, I suppose, ahead of round one of the women's competition. Collingwood sat on top of the McLennan Trophy table followed by Brisbane, Port Adelaide and Melbourne. But because Melbourne got a brilliant win over Collingwood in that round one game on Friday night, they now jump straight to the top of the McClelland table. And because Brisbane and Port Adelaide both lost, they remain uh, second and third. So this is, uh, remember, a race for a $1 million prize fund to be shared between all the male and female players at a club. So as we mentioned before, it just adds another layer of interest to it. But already the AFLW results having an instant impact on it. They certainly are. So, and something definitely when there's a million quid to be shared, uh, we're going to be keeping a close eye on that. As I'm sure the players in the dressing rooms of both the men's and women's teams will as well. Uh, before we finish up, let's take it. We've rounded up uh, the opening round of AFLW, the new AFLW season, as we just said. But already round two is nearly upon us because on Friday, September the eighth, Richmond Tigers and the Adelaide Crows will clash at Icon Park in Melbourne on Saturday, September ninth. We've got uh, three games beginning uh, with the Gold Coast Suns and the West Coast Eagles meeting at Heritage Bank Stadium. That's followed by the Albert and Oven Adelaide hosting Port Adelaide and the Brisbane Lions. Sydney Swans will look to kick on from their opening win when they take on the Cats and what should be a cracker at the North Sydney Oval in Sydney. On Sunday, the first of four matches begins with the Western Bulldogs and the Hawthorne, Hawthorne Hawks meeting at the Mara Stadium in Ballard. That's followed by Collingwood and Fremantle at the Victoria Park uh, in Melbourne and then the North Melbourne Kangaroos going one-on-one with Carlton in what should be a very, very entertaining game there. The last two games of the Sunday roster include the Essendon Bombers uh, taking on St Kilda and it finishes up with the Greater Western Sydney Giants looking to bounce back from their uh, Sydney Derby defeat when they host the Melbourne Demons uh, uh, sorry when they take on the Melbourne Demons at Manuka Oval in Canberra of that list of very very uh, enticing games Mike what ones uh, jump out to you? Well again look there's something in nearly every one of those games there but straight away I think the first game there uh, Adelaide against Tigers I suppose first of all two outstanding teams, um, Tigers coming off that big win over Brisbane, but they only have five days turnaround, so they're not going to be able to enjoy that win for too long, and they'll be straight into a Crows team on fire. So that should be uh, getting round two off to an outstanding start. Then if you look, I suppose you'd probably pick out um, Sydney Swans versus Geelong again. Uh, Geelong starting the season with great momentum. Sydney coming off that first win, potentially up to seven Irish players involved in that one. So um, huge interest from here at home. and. Then the third game I'd probably pick would be Collingwood and the Dockers. Again, purely for the fact that there'll be likely six players playing. They're, they're likely to all be involved in that one. 
But you've got Collingwood who, who are going to want to bounce back straight away from that opening night loss to Melbourne. And you've got Dockers who are going to want to build on that momentum of their great win in the Western Derby. So they're um, three games to watch. But I think, you know, uh, all the games will have interest and uh, get across as many of them as, as people can across next weekend. Indeed. So round one is in the books. We've reviewed it fantastically. We've looked ahead to round two. In the interim, where can people find your AFLW content um, online, Mike? Okay, so at AFLW underscore Ireland on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. The main one is Instagram. We've everything on there, all the information right from the previews, reviews, team announcements, um, all of the fixtures, all of the highlights, um, everything wall to wall, day by day uh, coverage. That's that's a fantastic resource to to keep an eye on all of these Irish players, and it's a hard job to keep an eye on all of them. But we're we're giving it a, a lash. We certainly are. We've done a fantastic lash of it this week anyway because we've covered all those round one games. Thank you very, very much, Mike. Can't wait to talk to you again next week to review what's going to be an even more exciting round two. But for now, our resident AFLW expert, Mike Coran, from everybody here in the Big Red Bench. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jerry. Looking forward to it. Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Munster women's rugby under-18 rising star Neve McCarthy joined our regular rugby expert Wendy Keenan and I on this week's Cork's Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. The Bantry Bay RFC player was part of the province's under-18 squad that ended their interprovincial campaign with a victory over Ulster last weekend. Neve comes from a famous rugby family and spoke to us about her father Eugene, her brothers and sisters and their influence on her career to date. Neve had high praise for the Munster pathway that is producing improved players every year through multiple age grades before making it on to the Munster senior panel. Also, Wendy Keane and I recapped last weekend's Vodafone Women's Senior Interprovincial final loss to Leinster, as well as asking why there are so few Munster representatives on the recently announced Irish Women's International Rugby team. Now, on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench, we are delighted to be joined by uh, our regular uh, Munster and Irish rugby expert, Wendy Keane. And Wendy, you're very welcome back. How are you? I'm great, Joe. Thanks, Million. And we're also delighted to be joined, as well as that, by a very special guest this week uh, from Bantry Bay RFC and a member of the Munster Under-18 girls team that beat Ulster this past weekend, Niamh McCarthy. Niamh, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, now, it's been a hectic time for you with the Munster Under-18s. Um, and this past weekend, you made uh, the journey to take on Ulster and a 2012 victory for you. Uh, Niamh Crotty, Sally Kelly, Emma Dunnigan touching down uh, with Katrina Finn kicking a penalty and a conversion in what was a ver- sounds like a very convincing win. Let's just briefly talk about that game first. Um, a fantastic to win on the road at any stage at interprovincial level and it must have been a great feeling coming home afterwards. Oh, it was it was amazing. Um, well deserved. Like um, By no means did Ulster hand it to us. It was a really tough game and it was a really nice feeling to come out the other side of it with a win. Yes, because it's uh, part of the Interprovincial Series uh, this year. You were unlucky. Lost a, a narrow one to Connacht to start it off. Leinster put a big score up on you, which was disappointing. But to bounce back from that, um, was there a real determination going up there to, to right the wrong of that game? Yeah, like we, we talked a lot about it in um, training on Monday and Wednesday. And, you know, we all knew the job mm. that was ahead of us and we all wanted it just as much for ourselves and for each other. So, you know, we went up there with one goal and that was coming away with a win and we're glad we did it. 
Yes, and uh, congratulations on that. I, I can see down through the, the lineup of the particular under-18 team, It's there's a big spread of players. It's kind of a common trait now at Munster Women's Rugby, but got players from Ballina, Killaloo, from Tralee, from Ennis, but also from West Cork as well. You've got Alex Good from Bandon, you've got Neve Hilliard from Clonakilty RFC, not too far away from yourself down in Bantry. Um, does it help having uh, girls who are uh, living quite nearby or has have you fostered, irrespective of what clubs they've come from, have you spo- fostered a good spirit this year? Um, definitely it's nice to have girls that um that know what it's like to come down from uh, the depths of South Munster. But um, do you know, like all the girls, like, you know, the minute you go into that environment, like it's like a family, like they're your girls for the summer and you know, hopefully the February and like we just kind of we blend into one very quickly. Yeah, I know you played, as you said, like you played three interprovincial matches, but when would have training have kind of kicked in properly? I mean, there's a lot of interest in trying to get on this particular interprovincial team. It's not an easy thing to make. So, I mean, to make it, first of all, congratulations on that. And on a panel of 23 players trying to get on to the 15, then three games in the interprovincial series to do that. But when did when did the training start in earnest uh, for this particular group and how long have you been involved? Um, after the squad was named, we started training in July and We've been training very hard and we had two, we were very lucky to have two residential camps where we got to stay overnight, um, which was amazing. And like, you know, we got to watch the senior women training after a long day of training and stuff. So getting to see them was great. Um, But getting on to the 23, we'd have, um, you know, we'd have the different regions. We'd have the north and the south and you'd have trial games. And, you know, it is a long process getting onto the team, but it's, um, it's a very like honouring one and very something you work very hard for and I've been involved in it now since I was about 14 with the RDS teams and I had my first Interpros last year at 15 which was insane (laughs) something I wasn't dreaming about at the start of the year Um, but uh, it it did me so much justice this year coming in a bit more experience you know. And look even from the way you're speaking there, Niamh, it is a big commitment for any uh, individual to, to commit to a Munster Interprovincial setup. It's up, but it's obviously a rewarding one. And even the way you're speaking there, the fact that you've had that experience coming into under 18, you've taken the hits at 14, 15, so you know what's involved. That must make a huge difference now. Oh, massive. Um, do you know, you know what you're getting yourself into. And I had the like the massive privilege of getting to play with girls like Saskia Witchley and Beth Bottomer last year who are, you know, they're up with those senior squads and, you know, like getting to learn from them and they've been in it too and getting to be in there when I was that bit younger, it brought me on a lot and I hope that I passed on some of the things to the younger girls again this year that are going to be in the summer programme next year. My God, you're sounding like a veteran at under 18 and, and talking like one, two, in fairness to you. Um, Willie Schubert is your coach and a name synonymous with coaching in this particular province with, with quite a while, very well-respected figure. What's he like as a coach? And I'm going to speak positively because you wanted to pick you again. But reality though, <laughs> looking after a panel no. of 23, 30 and, and in, what has he done in terms of improving you and developing you and your, and your fellow players? Um, Willie's worked very hard and, you know, He's had a great team onto him. He's had the likes of, uh, you know, uh, Lee Fitzgerald and Keen and Rose. Like, they're one team, if anything, like, and they all do work very hard. But, you know, Willie's had great sessions for us all summer and he's really worked hard to bring us together as a team. And I'm glad that we gave him a very good result at the end. And, you know, he knows all of us backwards and forwards. And, you know, it's just, it was nice to give him something at the end. 
I suppose, would you, would you believe, and I have to add this in, that uh, Willie Schubert actually coached Willie as an SNC coach in Balancholic and then ended up being his lecturer in college. So I know, I do know. So Willie that's where he's getting him. all the talent from, Wendy, is basically what you're saying. Yeah? No, you would have had good fun with Willie. I want to, I suppose, I talk a lot about the friendships that are formed. Um, I talk about transferable skills all the time. And, you know, that girls need to enjoy sports, Niamh. And how important is that factor? You know, enjoyment, friendships. You have, how important were those overnight stays in, in UL that you had? And then the overnight last weekend in terms of, you know, reaching that goal of the win. Oh, massive. Like, you know, we we really are one team. Like, there isn't... There's a little click, so, you know, from those overnights, we've gotten to spend so much time with each other and, like, you're you're just with each other all summer and, like, we all get along so well and, you know, you know those friendships aren't going to end when our summer ended last Saturday. Like, you know, those are friends you're going to have for the rest of your life and even girls last year that I'm still talking to and, you know, it's, it's great, like, you know, there's nothing better, to be honest. And I suppose, Ger, um, and if you can come in on this, we've got to highlight how young this team is um, in terms of their ages on the squad. I'm not sure how many people are moving on, Niamh. You might have more information on that. But the cohort of you are all still going to be together next year playing again for, you know, at that under-18 level. Yeah, there's there's a few of us um, old-timers, I suppose, like me moving on um, after February. But there's a massive lot of them that are together again last year. Um, I mean next year and it will stand to them you know because um, I know that they'll bring in the other girls too the younger girls again um, but yeah we're a very very young team but nothing that um, nothing that's holding us back yet Yeah and I suppose a lot of people too will have aspirations for getting into these matches that are going to happen in February you know which will be the selection process for the Irish under 18 um, selection so I'm sure there'll be lots of hard training and lots of tough matches during the winter. Yeah, there there will be, but you know we're taking our break now and uh, we'll be all ready to go again. And you know we all we all want to play for Munster and we're all willing to do it. So even getting to see the likes of Fiona Reedy and Roshi Normand at those sessions, like you just want to be them. Like and you know when you know in the winter time doing those hard things that they're going to get you one step closer, you'll do it with a bright smile on your face yeah it's wonderful to see and, and you've named your role models there and you know just to add before I so we finish up with Niamh that uh, Niamh is our role model now for the younger girls coming through Niamh has played since from a mini under 14s under 16s and uh, on her way up and you know we'll have those young girls watching those matches and uh, and she'll be a role model for our girls Thank you very much. And just before we let you go, Niamh, and thanks very much for taking the time to join us again here on the Big Red Bench talking um, all things rugby. You come from a, a rugby family, you were telling us, that's steeped in history, in rugby history, uh, to put it mildly. Now, your dad, Eugene, is involved in coaching and has been involved in coaching, but your three brothers, Sean, Potty and Tyke, what was it like growing up with them and how did, like, did you prepare them for rugby or did they prepare you for rugby? I mean, what was that like, that household? I'd like to say it was um, an even deal, but I'd probably be lying. Um, they definitely toughened me up, and but you know it was it was amazing. Like I got to see my two brothers, Tyg and Potty. They got to represent Ireland, and they got to represent Munster. Um, something that they did was you know it meant, it means a lot to us. Coming and from my dad coaching, like I've come from videoing the under eighteen girls training sessions when he was doing it to getting to play. And um, I definitely like the other side of the camera, but, um, you know, like getting to see them at that level was insane and something I'm very proud of. 
And so you should be. And just finally, Bantry Bay Rugby uh, Club is, uh, like a lot of clubs in West Cork, a lot of clubs that we would normally, or in recent years, have associated with producing players on a consistent basis at underage level, far into provincial level, is doing so now. How exciting are, how excited are you to see the developments there, not just in Bantry, but in Dunmanway, in Clonakilty, in Bandon, in the area where you're from in West Cork? Because it's starting, you're seeing players like the usual places from Dolphin, you're seeing players from, you know, as we said, Bandon. But now you're seeing players from... Um, you know, Clan, as I mentioned, Ennis, Ballina, Killaloo. Like, it's, this is a real provincial effort when it comes to uh, women's rugby in the province now. But from your own point of view and growing up uh, and seeing things, how things have developed in Bantry, it must give you immense pride to see the club going from strength to strength. Uh, immense pride, to be honest. Yeah, you're, you're dead on. You know, Bantry, we're, we're a strong old crowd, you know, and it's amazing to see, you know, Fanine and Josh, Enya, Andrea Stock, all those girls pushing on and you know, and there's been a few Stephen O'Donovan and Eli and the boys and Dylan Hicks pushing on now too, like um and some of the younger girls and the under seventeen monster girls, um including my sister actually, Murrin. Um, it's just it's huge and like we're here to stay and we might be a small club but we've got big hearts so we're, we're ready for whatever's coming our way. There's the battle cry for the coming season. Uh, well, listen, it's been a real pleasure uh, to talk to you. Neil McCarthy of Bantry Bay RFC and the Munster Under-18s coming off fantastic win over Ulster this past weekend. Thank you for taking the time to speak to Wendy and myself here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench. Thank you. Yeah, so that was uh, Neve McCarthy there, Banshee Bay RFC and Munster Under-18 uh, interprovincial player. Really well spoken and somebody I believe, uh, as Wendy has pointed out, we're going to be hearing a lot about in the future. Now we've got to move on and we have to talk about the Vodafone Women's Interprovincial Final, unfortunately from Munster point of view, which Leinster won this past Saturday at Musgrave Park, 33-14, to 14, 14 all at half time before Leinster uh, found a couple of gears in the second period and unfortunately for Munster ended their bid for three in a row and uh, gave Leinster their first title since 2019. Now, before I ask you for your opinion on it, Wendy, I can tell you, because I was reporting on it for the Irish Examiner, a couple of things first. Obviously, disappointing result. No getting away from that. But I have to commend the Munster uh, setup and the way the day ran, how smoothly it ran, and the way the, all the fans, both from Munster and Leinster, were treated by the Munster branch, handing out flags, not to the Leinster fans, obviously, they had their own ones. But um, th- just the smooth running of the whole event, it was my first experience in a long time in Musgrave Park of that, and I think you deserve credit for that, and probably people not enough people saying that, but it was really... Uh, despite the result despite unfortunately losing and that's just disappointing for so many young girls to be present for so many young boys and girls to be present and to, the atmosphere the big crowd getting behind Munster it is a disappointment it is a setback but it's not the end of the road for Munster by any means uh, Wendy and they'll be looking forward next year uh, to get back there as quickly as possible and get one oh. over Yeah I mean absolutely and I suppose look, just before we mentioned about the game you know, right, it was a very much a family occasion. And I just want to mention about, you know, the girls who were doing the Guard of Honour holding the flags. They were under 14 girls um, nominated by each of their clubs. You know, we uh, also had a draw for the, the mascot, you know, who came from Cork Con. We included the other girls as ball girls. So, look, we had all the clubs represented around the pitch. Unfortunate with the result, very disappointing. I know myself how special it is to win three in a row um, from my days in playing. And I suppose at halftime, you know, it was there. You know, we, we had a good performance. We tried from Dervila and, and Chloe Pierce, converted by Nicole Cronin um, in the first half. Um, 
we had the penalty try, which many of us were asking questions, what was that for? But we had the penalty try for Leinster and uh, Leah Tarpey scoring as well, I suppose, to, to bring it in the balance at half time. But I suppose, Jerry, we'd have to admit that, you know, at that stage, we thought, you know, Munster were going to come out strong. But it really was, I suppose, the tale of uh, of two halves. And if we were to rewind the clock, and I did watch it again when I came home, I have to admit, Munster didn't convert their per- possession two points in the first half. I mean, they were camped numerous times on the Leinster um, try line. I suppose Leinster have to be credited for the defence, but we should have taken away points at that stage. Uh, and instead, I think we yielded two penalties at one stage. Um, you know, uh, I mean... The, uh, the result doesn't reflect, I suppose, the rugby that that's played. Mm. And if you weren't at the match, you know, you, you can't say that. But look, I think Leinster really got their game plan right in the second half. And they dominated that second half. I mean, they came out with fire in the belly and, you know, started to score those try, uh, tries pretty quickly. I suppose I have to mention, you know, um, this time last year was very different. I remember meeting Tanya after they had lost their match. Uh, Tanya being the Leinster coach, um, who I would have been in, played against many a times and then been in a squad with Tanya. And she was absolutely devastated, I suppose, outside the changing rooms and couldn't even talk. Yesterday, or on Saturday, she threw her arms around me, mm. gave me a big hug. You know, she said, we needed this. Mm. Um, you know, and, you know, I suppose, share the love is what I'm always saying, but no, no, we wanted to win. We still hold the record, right? But I have to say that. I'm going to put in the positives. So we have 15-inch pro titles, I think, versus Leinster seven after the weekend. Um, Ulster have two, and um, Connacht, I suppose, uh, are still awaiting theirs. Yes, and as you said, look, I mean, I think that's a very balanced view on it. In fairness, yeah, you usually got the monster glasses on, but that's balanced. And as you, you mentioned uh, there as well, uh, Tanya Rosser, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking now that Connacht result that they lost surprisingly at the start of the year may have actually not worked in Munster's favour had they won that and come in you know just bear, you know coming into it I think that she mentioned it actually in the pre-match talk as well that the Connacht result losing to Connacht was something that they felt they didn't expect and they had to reass- reassess go back into camp and really get back to the basics and even the last day I suppose above in Energy Park as well where Munster were re- just as good as them on the day um the last day from my opinion anyway I think the second half there was just a couple of moments as you said when Munster had an opportunity they didn't convert and this Leinster team is lethal uh, if they if they sniff an opening and especially that last try I think that it spanned the entire length of the pitch and it was just indicative of them they were in on defensive mode for a couple of minutes and then Natasha Bain breaks free and Elise O'Byrne White you know, touches down within a couple of seconds that's how good they are but I don't think we can take away I know it's difficult and Neve spoke to us afterwards in the press room she was devastated but you know two three in a row this is a monster setup that's on the open you've got Dervil Nicovard you've got all these young players coming through the, the the future is genuinely bright for Munster and I think with the bit between their teeth next year I can't wait for the provincial series though already I wanted to come around again straight away and I know the Barbarians are coming and that's the next big thing on the horizon but for Munster Women's Rugby um, they've got to get back there next year uh, Wendy but I think this will drive them on I think the disappointment of the loss you could see it in the, player, in the players faces long after the game had finished they will be ready for next year yeah, and I look, we will talk about it in a second, but I mean, there's double disappointment for some of those girls because they didn't get included in that Irish squad and they would have been hoping, I suppose, we'll talk about that in a second, yeah. but you're dead right, right? We have to get back in there, but I suppose, you know, we were, were talking about pathways again, like Neve McCarthy and, and all those girls, they're coming through the pathways and look, we have to be patient. We have Neve Briggs in her new role and her development and Lorna working with her from the SNC side. Um, I thought the Leinster team were very athletic at the weekend and I thought that really showed, you 
you know what I mean, in the uh, in the latter stages of the game. Um, I mean, we mentioned Fee Reedy and what a talent she is, but look, she's on the wrong side of 30. Sorry, Fee, if you're listening, but, um, you know, a wonderful achievement. But I suppose it's time to let those new girls come through now. I mean, we, we, had, we saw the talent that came on mm. and that is only going to get stronger, especially with their inclusion on the Irish under-18s, the Irish under-20s and the programmes, the development programmes that are out there. Yeah, very well said. But just to finish up, as you mentioned, only four Munster players in the Irish squad. Now, I was surprised even at that, Wendy. I did think there would be, a f- considering the season Munster have had, considering the last couple of years, the, that's a disappointing number and there's no getting away from that. Um, we'll want to atta- we'll want to you know change that as time goes on. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I, I can't, I'm furious, but I, 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 I suppose we'll talk about it. I mean, we have a new coach in there um, that was coming with a lot of experience. He's named 30, 30 players for the Hutsus to go to Dubai. Um, so they go to Dubai, you know what I mean, for this new tournament. I suppose we have Dorothy Wall, we have uh, Dervlin Nikafart, Maeve O'Goleary and Aoife Doyle. Four players playing for Munster. We have no Munster club represented at an Irish level as senior in the next couple of months. I suppose what disappoints me the most, six players have been named to train with the squad, yet we have no Munster players included. And I thought some of those girls had superb performances and deserved, you know what I mean, to mm. be training at that higher level. Um, I, I hate, there's a few of them that I could name, but I suppose, look, Kate Flannery would be one. Mm. Having played in an Irish jersey um, earlier on this year um, at an underage, at the under eight, 20s, I really disappointed for her. I really thought she'd get a look, look in, but there were many strong performances. But yes, very disappointed. Look, back to the drawing board. Have to get better. We have to have depth the squad. You know what I mean? You have to have challenge for places. Um, and they're the things that the, well, they'll be firing the belly for the WAIL season now, I think. Uh, I think that's putting it mildly. There will be certainly from the way we're talking here, but and rightly so. But look, uh, disappointing end, as we said, to the season. But on the overall picture, Munster Women's Rugby is in a very healthy state. We've explained why over the past year, I think, in the podcast and talking about pathways and the underage players. Neil McCarthy is a shining example of that good win up in Ulster um, the last day as well. They're on the right path. We've got the right coaches in place. Um, it's only a matter of time before Munster players get on those international setups, more numbers than they're currently there. And we'll keep banging the drum and we'll keep reminding everybody as to why that should be the case but for now uh, and for this week uh, thank you very very much as always Wendy Keenan for joining us here on The Big Red Bench Thanks for a million for having me on Jeff. The Big Red Bench Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM's resident Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley rejoined us on The Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis comment and her expert opinion on the 2023 Italian Grand Prix Sarah explained how Ferrari fired up the action in front of their home crowd in Italy and put up the best fight to Red Bull that we have seen so far this season. We also discussed Max Verstappen setting new records and his teammate Checo Perez redeeming himself once again. Alex Albon matching Williams' best finish of the season drew Sarah's praise, as did Alfa Torre's Liam Lawson finishing in P11 and just outside the points in only his second Grand Prix. Now on the Big Red Bench, we welcome back our resident Cork Red FM Formula 1 expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, who's been away on holidays enjoying herself. And we've put her straight back to work to review what was an action-packed Italian Grand Prix for us here on the bench. Uh, Sarah, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, I was, uh, as you say, on holiday, but hiding from the sun. So I'm, uh, I brought it back with me, though, to Cork at least. So... Welcome. You, you have. Thanks for doing that because we were hiding too from the clothes and the rain and the wind. But anyway, at least you had your holiday and you well deserved. You rejoin us just in time to review what was a very interesting, surprisingly for me, uh, at the Autodrama. Mm. 
Nazionale Monza or Monza as we call it the Italian GP this past weekend where Max Verstappen and Red Bull made history we're going to talk of course about that but first it would be remiss of us not to talk about the uh, of course Ferrari on their home uh, patch as well and delivering plenty of excitement um, firing up the home crowd and uh, some positive headlines and, and a really good race for Ferrari but why was that Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I knew you'd be looking forward to, to chatting about this one. <laughs> to be to be fair, I think what we witnessed over the weekend from both Ferrari drivers was the kind of best fight we've seen yet put up to the Red Bulls this year, which is really encouraging because let's be honest, like that's where they should have been the whole time. Um, so it was actually really nice to see it. And I think Sainz did look like he had a slight edge on Leclerc kind of the whole weekend. But in fairness to Leclerc, he was also operating with kind of slightly less running time because he did miss out on some free practice. They were um, kind of tampering with his rear suspension and some new aero parts in the back of the car as well. So I think he acquitted himself really well in the race. You know, he had a, a big battle with Perez and really Perez had to get quite risky to, mm. to make that overtake stick. So I think they really pushed them and, you know, I I was hoping for maybe two Ferraris and a Red Bull on the podium rather than the other way around. But I think, to be fair, it was a very good showing overall from Ferrari. And, you know, they didn't make any glaring mistakes strategy-wise or pit stop-wise either, which I think particularly at a home Grand Prix is just, it's really nice to see. Very good point, because it's something we've criticised them for consistently on the big red bench, and rightly so, I think, over most of the season mm-hmm. and last season, if I recall correctly. What I Absolutely. was delighted with was that they didn't crash into each other right near the end. I, mean, I, I love yeah. to see that fighting spirit from Leclerc, and certainly from, it comes from science anyway, but from Leclerc especially, because he's spiky, but that last corner and the last couple of laps when he locked up, <laughs> I was going, don't hit him, because all the good work, Sarah, that Ferrari did, and they did a huge amount of good work. They were feisty, they were good in straight line speed. It was only DRS and Max and Perez eventually mm-hmm. that got them by them in a track that suits the Ferrari down to the ground but am I right I mean had they come together we'd be talking about very very different headlines so it's good that Ferrari get this positivity yeah and I'd like to be you know optimistic and say that it was brave from the team to let them do that I don't know pre-friend like I, I don't know if pre-Fred Vasseur that would have happened I don't you know I'm not sure that that would have happened under Mattia Bonato so I think there's a you know there's an element of it's it's yeah it's bravery that I would I would associate with Ferrari anyway you know I think that's part of the the DNA of the team from from the very beginning so it is nice to see it and as you say as long as they both come out unscathed um then that's fine and I think to be fair the the racing was fair and uh, I did laugh though when Carlos Sainz when he he did get in front he came over the radio and he said guys let's bring this home and I kind of thought oh would you would say that if you're <laughs> if you're in the podium position but no it was uh, it was absolutely great viewing for sure. It certainly was. And uh, as you said correctly, I think Ferrari are the only challengers, to, to potentially only challengers right now anyway, between here and the end of the season, to that Red Bull because the weekend, as much as we wanted to talk about Ferrari and the positivity coming out of it, and rightly so, the weekend once again belonged to the reigning world champion on his way to three in a row. Max Verstappen took his time, took a few risks, and I think he called signs naughty at one stage over the radio. But he besides did. that... <laughs> imperious from start to finish and a war two for Perez uh, and Checo coming back from a crash on Friday Sarah another one two for uh, the just undefeatable uh, Red Bull right now 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Verstappen set that record first, you know, driver in history to win 10 consecutive Formula One Grand Prix. That's, you know, we've had some comments saying it doesn't matter, but it it does. You know, these things should be should be celebrated and recognized and any any new record uh, kind of means something in a sport that's so difficult to even get into in the first place. I think, as you rightly said, Perez, he looked very shaky, um, you know, after that crash in free practice, he was essentially under zero pressure and made a pretty big mistake and, and did damage to the underneath of that car, was lucky to just sort of lightly bounce off the barrier uh, instead of fully crashing into it. But I think he did really well to come back and secure that one, two for the team. I think, you know, with it, particularly with Daniel Ricciardo being out now, possibly until after Japan and yet another new driver being in that second Alpha Terry seat, I do wonder whether, not that he would wish any pain on or ill on uh, Daniel Ricciardo, but I do wonder, is he kind of breathing a sigh of relief? Um, because I think unless Daniel Ricciardo comes back and absolutely lights the world on fire for the last six races of the year, I, I think now probably Perez's seat is safe for next year just because anything else seems like a pretty big risk to me um, to make that decision where I think if Ricciardo hadn't broken his hand and was still performing well and putting Checo under pressure, I think we could be talking, you know, we could be having a different conversation. Yep, I think that's fair. I think that's fair considering it took Paris so long to shake off those Ferraris. I mean, once Max got around him, he was gone. Clean mm-hmm. air and he was out of it. Like, it took Paris a long time and he did have a bad start to the weekend. And just on the comments, as you mentioned there, that, you know, people kind of downplaying the 10 in a row. Mm. Interesting that those comments emanated from Toto Wolf and uh, the fantastic Sir Lewis Hamilton, who they kind of backtracked a bit shortly afterwards. But it was interesting that they made those comments about Max's uh, record, trying to get a little bit under the skin maybe of Red Bull, but far are too late now at this time of year to be saying things like that isn't it yeah I think it's you know they're playing Red Bull at their own game aren't they it's all like Christian Horner loves that kind of stuff you know (laughs) he's just as we've seen on Drive to Survive he absolutely lives for the drama so I think that's just you know it's to yeah. be expected at this point from those two yeah you just reminded me of him coming on the radio right at the end knowing he'd be heard around the world fantastic he says to Max as he always does 10 in a row what a record you know who cares yeah. You, know? Yeah. you are listening to the big red bench here with Corks Red FM's resident Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley we're reviewing the Italian Grand Prix won as we said just there by Max Verstappen the runaway championship leader further down the grid uh, last weekend there was lots of storylines Sarah and you've picked out one and that's Alex Albon who's been making quite a name for himself in that Williams which looks to me in straight line speed anyway, getting a little bit faster as the season comes to an end. Yeah, I'm genuinely thrilled for Alex Albon. I just think, you know, he he went through a really rough patch at the beginning when he first got into Formula One. And I think he's just come back so much stronger. Clearly that Williams environment suits him really, really well. And, you know, if you look just at the hard facts, he's sitting in P13 at the moment in a driver's championship that's now extended to 22 drivers um, with Lawson and Ricardo coming in. And that's in a car that's had significantly less development and way less resources than the, a lot of the other teams. So I think it's really to be commended. He's outperforming his machinery for sure. And he, you know, he's essentially the only person on that team that scored a point as well. So the fact that they're sitting in seventh out of 10 in the constructors is entirely down to Alex Albon. Um, and, you know, they haven't been kind of around that area of the Constructors' Championship since 2017. 
So that's, you know, that's a long wait and they've had a, they've had some really hard times. And at one point it, it didn't look like we were going to have Williams in Formula One anymore. So I think he is, he is, I think the future of that team for sure. Whatever about the second seat, I think that Alex Albon um, just definitely deserves a massive round of applause. He's been really consistent and impressive. Oh, I'd even go a step further than that. I agree with everything you said. It's a very good assessment of what he's done in, in pretty rudimentary uh, equipment I think there's a lot of uh, agents and the bigger teams watching what he did this past weekend he did not give an inch anyone that passed him had to earn it and I know that Mm -hmm. happens at the front but then it's not that different between the machinery apart from the Red Bulls but when you're in a Williams and all you've got is straight line speed that's all you've got because you've no dynamics (laughs) in another of the corners his performance I was kind of looking just like you said there I was looking I'm going okay Albon maybe Piastri but definitely Albon would be on the radar for some of the bigger teams yeah, I think I'm afraid of the Red Bull conversation mm-hmm. and I don't think he would be silly enough to go there. I think there's, you know, Ferrari has been suggested a couple of times if, you know, either of those drivers were to to leave their current situation. I think potentially, um, I just think a lot of it for Albon has to do with the environment of the team and the nurturing that he gets and the support that he gets. And I just... I don't know that, I, certainly Red Bull wouldn't provide it. I don't know the Ferrari is kind of, is able to provide that either. I'm just not certain about the fit there, but it would be definitely interesting to see if he continues the way he's going. It's definitely going to be interesting to see who tries to pick him up for sure. Yes, watch this space. I think Alex Albon's a name that's going to be moving sooner rather than later. Maybe another season at Williams, but not. To, I, I can see him he seamlessly moving into a seat a bit higher up the grid as time goes on. You wanted to mention as well, Sarah, uh, he finished P11, but Liam Lawson has been making a few headlines in his short time he's been in Formula 1. Yeah, in fairness, you know, particularly important, obviously, because Sonoda didn't even make it to, to the first <laughs> lap, um, which poor Yuki's having a bit of a torrid poor season. Yuki. The boys don't even answer um, the radio anymore. No, they just see him coming on and go, yeah, know, all right, Sonoda, you've crashed. Like, fair oh, enough. God. Um, but I think, to be fair, you know, Lawson kind of redeemed the, the team performance a small bit. And, you know, this is only his second Grand Prix weekend. And it turns out that Daniel Ricciardo, in fairness, had actually reached out to Lawson and said, look, here are my tips for just jumping in because that's exactly what he did too. Um, So as I said earlier, it's looking now like Daniel Ricciardo is going to miss Singapore and Japan. So Liam Lawson potentially with um, a couple of more races to kind of prove exactly what he's capable of doing in that car. Yes, and we'll be looking out for him uh, doing very, very well in such a short period of time. As we said, Lawson is certainly a name uh, to watch out for further down the grid in the remaining Formula 1 Grand Prix. Before we finish up in the Italian Grand Prix, I wanted to ask you, but the two McLarens coming together, Norris and Piastri, now they've been pretty much safe enough and well away from each other. And I think kind of from a little safe distance, Piastri was getting a lot of positive headlines. I don't know how that went down with Lando when he was no longer, you know, the golden child of McLaren, but mm. the coming together, now I know they survived it, but the coming together and the manner in which it happened, it, I didn't hear much of apologies from either of them. They gave the usual PR afterwards, but what do you yeah. think about this and what might this mean for McLaren? Yeah, I mean, Andrea Stella called it unacceptable, mm. uh, the contact. I think it reminds me somewhat of when Lewis and Valtteri were both at Mercedes and they were both actually genuinely competing for championships. I think it's similar to that. And I think it's a really, really hard situation to manage because, you know, maybe they weren't as young as Lando and Oscar are now, but they were still two drivers who considered themselves at the peak of their performance. And 
it's a tough one. You've got a lot of ego there. And I think in fairness to McLaren, where they could be showing a lot of bias towards Norris in the way that, you know, Red Bull do with Max, for example, they aren't. And I think they're kind of at least on the face of it. Obviously, we don't know um, until Drive to Survive comes out what happens behind closed doors. But I think it's it's going to be tough, you know, and it's going to be tough continuously with those two because Lando Norris does not, as you said, there's never really any major apologies from him. He's he's quite strong-willed. And I think Oscar Piastri is more of like a, a, a strong but silent type. He's been very, uh, he's been very polite and sort of short over the radio anytime he's been slighted. So uh, that won't yeah, last. There, yeah, there's a lot of management, uh, I think, going on there and a lot of it to come. And look, there's the pros and cons of having two feisty young drivers in your cars. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that again in the future. Yes. And uh, just finally, finally, uh, because we haven't mentioned your favourite driver, Sir Lewis Hamilton. It was lovely to see him get down on one knee, put down his sword and his shield <laughs> and apologise to Piastri for trying to take him off as well. Any comment on that, Sarah? <laughs> Yeah, I felt bad for Piastri because at the end of the day, it did, you know, much more negatively affect his race than it did Lewis's. Mm. Um, despite the penalty, Lewis did manage to pull out a five second gap in the end. So it neutralized that five second penalty. But yeah, I mean, look, at least he did apologize. I think there's an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of them out there that would have just said, oh, racing incident we will move on. Um including some of the greats. And I think at a time, to be honest, Lewis also wouldn't have bothered apologising. He's mellowed mm. in uh, in his age, for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that again. We'll see how the next GP goes. But yeah, great to see Lewis <laughs> being humble as a sore fair play to him. So just to wrap up, the Italian Grand Prix from last weekend at Monza, Max Verstappen, 10 in a row, taking the 25 points for Red Bull, followed by Checo Perez, his teammate in second, Carlos Sainz Jr., third, Leclerc, fourth for Ferrari, third and fourth, really good performance from them. George Russell, who we didn't talk about again consistently, in at fifth, taking up 10 points and Lewis Hamilton uh, 6 Alex Albon uh, Lando Norris Fernando Alonso in the Aston Martin coming night and Valtteri Bottas in the Alfa Romeo rounding off the top 10 and what all that means in terms of the standings Max yes we know he's way out in front 12 wins 14 points he's going to be champion Sergio Perez uh, solidifying second place now with 219 points well ahead of Fernando Alonso 170 Lewis Hamilton Carlos Sainz Jr. in the top 5 constructors yawn it's uh, Red Bull out in front 583 Mercedes 273 Ferrari catch him now 228 that'll be interesting and Aston Martin on 217 and McLaren on 115. We now turn our attention following that Italian Grand Prix to Sunday the 17th of September in two weeks' time at the Marina Bay Circuit. Street Circuit, it will be the Singapore GP, first of two uh, Far Eastern ones, of course, the following weekend. We're in the Suzuka Circuit for the Japanese Grand Prix. It looks like it's going to be Red Bull from here to the end of the season, but that does not mean we won't have headlines and things to talk about on and off the track. And we're delighted to have our resident uh, Formula One expert back to bring us through every bit of that. Sarah McKenzie for Thank you so much for joining us on this week's Big Red Bench. In the interim, where can people find your uh, racing content? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at MacTweets underscore. And you can also find me on Instagram at MacGram underscore. And if you're looking for more long form content as well and women in motorsport content, you can search on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1. Excellent stuff. We'll talk to you soon, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks, dear. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM.
Right, another important weekend of Cork LGFA club action took place across the county this past weekend. Now I'm going to look back at each of the results, scores, standout players and knockout phase ramifications across the senior, intermediate and junior grades. Let's start, as always, in the Cork LGFA Senior Football Championship where a brave Kinsale effort wasn't enough to prevent a Group 1 loss away to Airog. Playing their first senior championship match of the season, Kinsale welcomed Saibo Leary back to their starting lineup, but trailed the Ovens Club 3-3 to 5 at the interval. Emer Scally scored twice, uh, into the back of the net, won from a penalty, as did Orda Cahalan before Scally completed her hat-trick in the second half. A Shauna Cronin green flag wrapped up a deserved 5-11-08 Air Oak win. Despite the defeat, Quiva Horgan scored five Kinsale's points on a day Cy Volieri, Aoife Keating and Sophie Collins each contributed a point apiece. Grania Coig, Kate Redmond, Cy Volieri and Amy Casey stood out for a Kinsale side, hoping to bounce back at home to St Val's this weekend. Also on Sunday, Clannacilty travelled to Introver seeking their first Group 1 win of the campaign. Also last weekend the Group 1, St Val's and Introver served up a cracking encounter which was won by St Val's 3-9-3-3. Leading 1-6-1-1 at the break, St Val's kicked on in the second period to win by six points. Thanks to Kira McCarthy's 1-3, Nicola Dennehy's 1-2, a goal from Niamh McNabola and points from Alice Buckley, two from Murray Corkery and another from Amy Shepherd. In Group 2 of the Cork LGFA Senior Football Championship, reigning champions Moore Abbey remain undefeated ahead of hosting newcomers Castlehaven in an eagerly anticipated showdown next Sunday in Moore Abbey. The current champions were too strong for Bright Rovers last weekend, racking up another impressive score en route to their second consecutive win. In the same Group 2, Adda's first county championship victory of the season occurred at home to Fermoy. Leading 2-5 to 1-5 at the break, Adda ran out 4-12 to 1-7 winners, thanks to Emma Farmer who contributed 1-6, Brianna Smith and Christine Moran who each got 1-1, Amanda Bennett who scored a goal, Cork All-Ireland Camogie winner Hannah Looney who got two points, Caitlin Smith and Caitlin Horgan who each kicked a point apiece. Adda's best players on the day included Roisin Phelan, Natalia O'Connor and Katie O'Farrell. As for Formoy, Mwiran O'Brien got their goal with Sir Shamore kicking four points, Abby Scannell, Ashley Hutchins and Theresa Murphy were also on target. On to the Intermediate County Championship, where a 5-15 to 2-7 defeat of Araglen Desmond's Bui means Ross Carberry, barring a shock win by Araglen at home to Nieva Vaughan in the final Group 1 match on Friday, have cemented their Cork Intermediate County semi-final berth. Fiona Callan top scored for Ross Carby with 2-3 in their merited victory over Ara Glen last Friday evening. Sandra Donahue got 1-4, Kira Hooley 4 points, Megan Hayes 1-1, Maeve Kingston a goal, Kellyanne French, Hannah O'Hee and El O'Hee a point apiece were the winners other scorers. Fiona Callan, Cleena Maguire, El O'Hee and Grania Hodnett were the pick of Ross Carby's best players. As for Ara Glen Desmond's Bui, they made a better second half of it with a very young side on the field on the evening, still without 10 of last year's starting team. Shauna Kelly in midfield, Cara Courtney at wing back and Leah Reardon at wing forward as well as Roisin Murphy at centre-back and Anna Casey at full-back were Arglen Desmond Bui's top players. Another West Cork club, Valley Rovers, got off the mark in Group 2 of the Intermediate Football Championship last Sunday. Cork senior Dara Kiley kicked 3-1, Eve Dwyer got 2-1 and Michelle O'Regan got 1-3, for, uh, providing the majority of Valley scores in a terrific 6-7 to 15 points win at home to Awandala. Kate Wall and Shauna Cronin also got on Rovers score sheet in a game Valley's goalkeeper Ella Ryan excelled. As expected, one of this year's intermediate county title favourites, Glanmire, proved too strong for Dunamore and racked up a big win to go top of Group 2. This weekend's round of group fixtures sees Valleys hosting Dunamore, where another Rovers triumph could yet seal a county semi-final spot alongside Glanmire.
On to the Junior A Championship, where an eight-point second-half blast saw O'Donovan Rossa overcome West Cork rivals Donnies in a terrific Cork LGFA Junior A clash in Dunmanway last Sunday evening. The highest praise you could bestow upon both teams is the hope that they will meet again in the semi-finals or final of this year's Junior A Football Championship, because from start to finish, this was a super game, full of excellent scores and some superb defending. Down one five to six points at the break, O'Donovan Rossa overcame a yellow card to kick eight second-half points and restrict their opponents to 1-1 en route to a third successive county championship triumph. Both Donnies and O'Donovan Roster are likely to make the last four of the championship once their own Robin section concludes, but on this occasion it was the Skibbereen Club who reinforced their title credentials. Scores for O'Donovan Roster, Ava O'Donovan had another good day with five points, four from Freeze, Fanolo Driscoll kicked four points, Emma Hurley three, Laura Manny Cork Senior got two, and Kate O'Donovan also got on the score sheet for Donnies. Ruth Collins kicked one one, Ava O'Donovan got their other goal with Noel O'Mahony three points, and Marie Crowley two points, the other Dunmanway Club scorers. In the same Junior A County competition, Bantry Blue suffered a 3-8-2-6 loss away to Middleton last Sunday. Two Murray delay goals couldn't prevent the Blues from changing ends 2-5-2-2 in arrears. Amid very hot and humid conditions, Middleton converted a second-half penalty before being reduced to 13 players following a spate of late yellow card offences. The home team's the home team defended doggedly, however, and ran out deserving winners to dent Bantry's hopes of making this year's Junior A semi-finals. Middleton scorers included Sive Bosang, who got 2-2, Amy McCarthy, who got a goal, Isabel Nestor, who got three points, Ava McCall of two points, and Rachel Quirk, who kicked another point. Murray Delay, 2-1, Sarah Bishop, three points, Caitlin O'Mahony and Eva Kingston, a point apiece, were Bantry's scorers. What that means is that the Blues must overcome Donnie's in both sides' final group outing on September 17th, if Bantry are to have any chance of squeezing into the knockout stages. Before that, Donnies will look to get back to winning ways away to Middleton this Sunday, while high-flying O'Donovan Rossa hosts Douglas on the same afternoon. Bishopstown and Tyg McCorrig are through to this year's Cork Junior B County Championship semi-finals. Bishopstown edged Nemo Rangers in a cracking contest, 2-13-2-12. In the same Group 1, Tyg McCorrig proved too strong for Corsi Rovers last Monday night and confirmed their place in the last four. Amy McKennedy got 2-2, Rachel Leonard 1-2, Jennifer Collins 1-4, Maureen Maureen Keating 1-1 Kate McCarthy a goal Rachel Crowley another goal Ellen Hurley with 5 points Kate Deneen and Claude O'Neill a point apiece were the Cora side's other scorers Tyke McCorrick and Bishopstown meet in their final Group 1 game on September 17 to decide the semi-final seedings Nemo Rangers host Corsi Rovers on the same afternoon Carrigaline and Rock Bond confirmed their place in the JBFC semi-finals last weekend Rock Bond scored four goals in seeing off Watergrass Hill while Carrigaline defeated Drum Tariff 313 to 28. The two group leaders also meet on September 17th with knockout places already short and the same day Watergrass Hill will host Drum Tariff. In the Junior C County Football Championship, despite a battling display, Barrow were defeated 313-17 by Aaron's own last weekend. Fiona Murphy 1-1, Anya Terry O'Sullivan 2 points, Kira Murphy, Katie O'Sullivan, Claire O'Shea and Sinead Murphy a point apiece were on the Barrow score sheet in a game which goalkeeper Maureen O'Sullivan played superbly. In the same grade, Ballinora overcame St. Cullum's 5-13-05. McCroom went top of the Junior D Football Championship round robin standings following a cracking 3-10-2-9 win away to Ballinhasig. Liskould edged the Bars 4-4-2-9 in the same Junior D grade. McCroom now lead the way on 7 points with Liskould in 2nd spot on 4. Ballinhasig and the Bars are on 3 points apiece and Winter Gabriels are yet to get off the mark. So that's it. That's another roundup from the Cork LGFA Club Championships over this past weekend. Lots of action to come uh, heading into the final round of group fixtures before we hit the knockout stages and a sincere thanks from everybody here on the Big Red Bench to all the Cork LGFA clubs who provided the information for that piece and we have another one for you next week. 
That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.